Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. We continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we get towards the end of that, and today's verses are Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, the narrow and wide gate. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 13 and 14, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Life is tough. Life is hard. And we all have to endure the hardship. And there are some people that decide that they want to deal with hardship beyond what life has to offer. And often there's rewards that come along with that. Not often, there's always some rewards that come along with that. And we have some people who come to Compass, and some of you might know and some of you might not know, who have uh, accomplished significant things in their lives. And, and a couple have just completed a significant journey just two weeks ago. And I'm going to invite them to come up and join me. And we are going to talk about it. So, Mark and Sherry, I haven't said what you've completed or what you did, but uh, tell us what you did and some details about it. Can I bring up a slide? Bring up a slide. Yeah, yeah I wish you were there. <laughs> I find time to applaud now. That little line at the bottom, all that, that doesn't... It's all spread out like that with the whole thing. That doesn't look quite as intimidating as it does when you, like, take a little section at a time. So I mean, what, it's only this tall there. <laughs> so so what, that's a map across America? Did map you, across America. Luxury bus or something like that? Luxury bus. Uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> Tell my bottom that. <laughs> these, these four little legs. Pedal, pedal, pedal. Two and a half million times around and around and around is what they estimate, um, which would be even more if you put two of us on there at our age, <laughs> like 20 million. Um, but that's what we did, Glenn. We rode across the United States on a bicycle built for two. So, yeah, on a, on a tandem, built yes. for two. Approximately so, 4,228 miles. And give us some more statistics about that. How many states... Um, In fact, how we, many days? Back, we can show you the states. Okay. So we went, Glenn, we did it different. We started in Pueblo, Colorado, and we went east, and then we went from Pueblo, Colorado, and went west. But we, Virginia, and then you go through Kentucky, which you hear funny banjo sounds, and you drive through just a little bit of Illinois where you see big gravel trucks actually run us off the road. And then Missouri... And then we get into Kansas. I don't like Kansas. <laughs> In fact, Sorry, anybody, if you're from Kansas, I don't like Kansas. You don't see any of the funny ridges at the bottom in Kansas? Pretty flat, huh? We started there. We started in eastern Colorado and went back towards the east through Kansas. That was our starting point. We can get back to that. We'll get back to it because it was by far the toughest thing we've ever done. So, sorry, the toughest was Kansas? By far. Oh, yeah. The flat country? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
by far. Okay. Um, then you go through Colorado, and you go up through Wyoming, which is beautiful and amazing, and you get to Montana, and you go to, you kind of take this funny northern route because the home of adventure cycling, which is where the maps come from, is in Missoula, Montana. So they want us so to go by their place. And we take a picture there and they wave and do strange things. <laughs> and you get things. to sign the wall and say, hey. Wow. <laughs> and then Idaho, the toughest climb that we had was in Idaho. It's a little road. It's not a mountain. It's a little road. And by far it was the toughest. Steepest. And the people we talked to, you steepest. It was just crazy. And then we get in Oregon. And we even have some pictures from Oregon in a little bit. So what were you... Why? Why did you do this? You know, <laughs> I have to tell Our you. Our children all, are still asking that question. All bad things happen around a dinner table. <laughs> and this happened around a dinner table with a bunch of friends who said, hey, we've just ridden across the state of Missouri, which is the toughest climbs you have in this entire thing. Missouri is really hard. It's almost as many, it's more feet of climbing in Missouri than there is in Colorado. How's that? Wow. And it's straight up and it's straight down and it's straight up and it's straight down. And Gary's driving with his truck with hay bales and he drives you off the road every 10 minutes. Um, it's Missouri's tough. But we, were, we just done that, 240 miles. And we said, what could we do for an encore? And eight friends said, we could ride across the country. And we all nodded our head like, sure we could. Because we knew it wouldn't happen until we were old. And someone in the group got the bright idea and said... If we waited till we're old, we'll never do it, so let's start now. That was seven years ago. That was seven years. So how long, how long did, so how long in total did it take you to, to ride? About 70 days. About yeah. 70 days? Over yeah. what time period? Over six years. Over six years? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we did so, about 10 days of summer. And the stages, so how did you get from one stage to, to the other? How did you organize that? That was one of the toughest things uh -huh. um, because there were there were actually seven of us that uh -huh. that did the journey, and so we had two tandems and three single bikes. So most of the time, fortunately, we had a resourceful leader, and so we would load our bikes onto a trailer, and sometimes it would be even a big enough trailer that a vehicle could so also also get into the go. trailer, and then. We would beg somebody retired to <laughs> drive us to a spot, drop us off with our bikes. Sometimes they would take the vehicle then to where we hoped to finish, leave it, pull the car off, drive home. So did you mark a, a place so, in the ground where you start next time? Pretty much. We <laughs> would have to get there, and then the next time we'd get back. Okay. We're, known as, we're known as the every milers. Okay. Yeah. And so. the people that cross the United States, there are those who go, you know, I got really close to finishing. Mm -hmm. Let's just mark it good. We're not that group. We're the every milers. Wherever we stopped, we had to come back and start there. Okay. <clears throat> and if you didn't, and you kind of had to start behind it because you it's didn't like, want to okay. miss any of it. <laughs> One year we missed a few miles. Well, it was our first year. First year. Um, due to different circumstances, we missed a few miles. So then... So a little bit later that fall, because we did, we did the Colorado-Kansas, and then we did the Missouri in the fall, since that was closer to home. And so we went just a little bit early so we could back up and finish those few miles that some wow. didn't, you know, some had yeah. finished and we hadn't, so that we got every mile. <laughs> so d describe some of the hardships that you had to endure. 
Mental. Okay. You Glenn, know, you, the, the toughest was to start. Yeah. By far, was starting it. And we had someone with us for the first couple of days that was in a truck, and he was going to follow us. And he got bored really quick. You guys only go 70 miles. I can do that in an hour. Yeah. You got a gas pedal. <laughs> um, so he drove off, and all of a sudden the trip began, and the adventure uh -huh. truly began. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, this was the summer of the Moore, Moore Oklahoma, um, tornado. So more Oklahoma has tornadoes. We are chasing in this picture. We are chasing storm chasers. We are going the same way they're going on a bicycle. There's something wrong with the mental I, picture. I of think this. there's a picture later that day. I don't know which, but it showed the storm. I don't know if you stuck that in I there, didn't. but okay. But I mean, we had a picture of just black skies. It was like, oh my word, what are we yeah. going to do? Um, but the winds that year. And that was it. it it's interesting because I think the spiritual connection is amazing. Mm -hmm. We had a map. This map tells you every single turn. Tells you how to get there. Every, I mean, people that are going to be their phone numbers, all the rest. I've got a Bible too. So I got the map. The toughest thing was Kansas. And it wasn't the mountains. Because you can see mountains. It was the unseen. It was absolutely the unseen. So it was the wind. It was had, 40 we plus. We had a hidden foe. We did not know. We thought we're starting out easy. We're going to go flat. Colorado, we're going to go hundreds Kansas. of miles a day. It'll be easy. No problem. Mm -hmm. We would go a mile. I would get off the bike. Sherry would ride on my shoulders. And we were riding in a 45 and 50 mile an hour winds. We wore out a set of tires in four days. It was hitting us from the side. It was blowing us back into Gary. Gary gets around in his semi. He's all over. And Sherry would say, why are we going into the middle of the road? He couldn't I help would it. say things like, I'm not trying to. And she said, but we keep going into the middle of the road. And we were on the side, and we rolled right through a set of tires, wow. through the sidewall. In Hutchins in Kansas, we changed them. Wow. But it was the unseen winds. That was the toughest. Did you ever feel, feel like giving up? That first year. That first year was like, what have we decided to do? This was supposed to be the easy year. If this is easy, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm -mm. Okay. So what are, the, what are the lessons that you learned from this experience? You must have, you spent many, uh, many, many days in the saddle, many hours. You must have thought about. This slide right here. Um, well, that was going to be my last one, but go oh, ahead. Never uh -huh. mind. <laughs> do, you, do we want to do that right now? Yeah. That, that represents one of the lessons that we learned. For some reason that day, um, we were both just fatigued. We, we started out that morning feeling pretty happy, but as the day went on, it was, it was hot, it was windy. windy. Crazy windy. We had one day of tailwind in 70-some days. We went yes, 120 that miles true. that day. Wow. Every other day we had headwind. Literally. Yep. We know. I rode in it. Um, so this day was, and it was probably getting around noon. And Close to 100 degrees. And, and this was just one of those, as you can see, there's no trees, there's nothing, nothing. You're just out in the middle of, it was Montana, right? Yeah. And you're just winding up this pass that We've been riding for about two and a half hours. We've been pedaling up a pass. Forever. And you're just slowly going up and up and up. And we were just, we, we were, were just whipped. Yeah. Oftentimes, one of us will feel better than the other, and it's like, the, that one's the encourager, the encourager. Mm -hmm. Hey, mm -hmm. you know, come on, we got it, we got it. We were both just spent, and we were ready to, Mark had actually said, he said, 
as soon as I find, you know, as soon as I go around this corner, I'm going to pull off for a minute. I've just got to get off the bike. i got to take a break. I'm just, I'm just worn. And so we were. And then what happened? Literally through the winds, I hear a voice. And I hear, you can do it. And all of a sudden, we start picking up speed. And I said, Cherry, did you hear that? And it's whipping. You can just hear the winds whip. Sherry said, I didn't hear a thing. But at this moment, I really don't care. If it makes your you legs go faster, it's okay. You want to hear. In fact, he said, go faster. <laughs> um, and I picked it, the pace up a little bit. And a few minutes later, I heard it again. And I said, you had to hear it. Did you hear it? No. No. I said, listen, I can hear it. Listen. And I heard it again. Well, this is the year that my brother-in-law had... Well, you're not uh, dehydrated or anything like that. I was dehydrated. <laughs> incoherent. <laughs> Our brother-in-law, Sherry's brother, had been following us over the years. And he decided a couple years ago he was going to do it coast to coast in one year. And he was feeling strong this day, and he had ridden off. So we rode together on that section that so we were doing Rob, He joined us. And it's Rob's voice I hear over the wind. And he has gotten up to the top of Big Hole Pass, and he is screaming. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, I hear him. I can hear him. And Sherry's going, I don't care. You hear whatever you want. <laughs> and what I realized is that you can't encourage anyone enough. Mm -hmm. You just can't do it. Um, those words, I mean, it still moves me. It, it was just like a shot of adrenaline. And he really was up there. We got closer, and I'm like... Oh, oh, I see Rob. I see him up there. He was, he was just shouting. I mean, come on, Decker. Come on, Team Decker. You can do it. You've got this. And I mean, he was just jumping up and down. I think he'd been there. He had, he had felt it. it. Was, he had understood yeah. it, how tough it was. And he was just encouraging. And I literally got the vision of the cloud of angels and saints that go before us and called us out to us. Wow. Yeah. And it was just, it was so exciting. We just kept going. And that was huge. That was a big lesson. Okay. The other thing I learned is the person in the back of the bike is always right. <laughs> I learned that it always. took six years. <laughs> so <clears throat> to wrap this up, what is, are there any rewards that came out of this? This, just time together. I mean, it has, it has deepened our friendship, our relationship. We've often talked about, well, yeah, we had some tough times. This last year, he was laid up for a morning mm -hmm. that's, getting that's IVs. That's not me. <laughs> that's someone acting. That, that's called an IV bag. It's just time. It's time together and learning to work through difficulties, mm -hmm. challenges, and knowing that we can do it together. Right. And, right. and that was an absolutely amazing thing. And so we, we come back and we're like, okay, yeah, so life may not be peachy, but you know what? Together, we can do anything. Together right. we can do it. Yeah. I see tears in your eyes. It is. It's emotional. It's exciting. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. How many miles? 4,228. And we took a few wrong turns. I'm sure it was wow. more than that. It's got to okay. be like 5,600. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it. Let me keep that.
Kendall's turn. So Kendall, I've never really known. I mean, I've known Kendall since he was a little boy. And here we go, Kendall. I think this one echoes a little less than that one. Um, and I've seen him grow up, but I've really never known him all that well. And, um, but Cheryl has followed him on whatever social media is out there, and I, I'm, I'm very much aware of what this guy is he's all about, and I've become a, uh, why am I emotional? Um, i become a fan of this man. I mean, he's, he's an amazing young man. He, he really is. But he accomplished something great as well, which is very similar to what they did as well. So, Kendall, tell us what, tell us what you did. Uh, Put that close to your mouth. It'll, in yeah, 2016, yeah. right after I finished college, I hiked the entire length of the Appalachian Trail in one summer. They call it a through hike. Um, and so it was 2,189.1 miles is the official <laughs> mileage of the trail that year. And um, So where does it begin and where does it end? It begins on a, well, the, it, but it begins officially on top of one mountain in Georgia and it ends on top of another one. And so you have to walk up to the start and finish of the trail. So it requires more walking than that. But uh, it starts in Springer Mountain, Georgia and goes to Katahdin in Maine, which is in the middle of nowhere in a state park. And um, so it takes most people five to seven months. It took me two days shy of five months. I did it a little faster than most, mostly because I started later um, because I had to finish college. And um, so. So tell us why. So why, um, that's a good question. Um, Some people dream about this their whole life. That wasn't really me. in, what was it like, sometime around December, I guess, uh, of like 15, I heard a podcast about this guy who was wanting to hike it, and he couldn't hike it because he got sick, and he ended up dying before he could do it, and his wife was asking people to take pictures of his boots out on the trail, and that's all it was, and so I was like, oh, cool, I could go out there and do a section since I live here in Tennessee because I was at Southern at the time. And I asked a friend if he would do it with me. And then he's like, oh, hey, my sister's doing this thing, the whole thing this summer. Have you ever thought about that? And that, from there, I just kind of decided to do it because <laughs> I was looking for something to do after, you know, after I graduated. And so... You were looking for something to do? Yeah. I mean, it's like from one hardship to the next. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of tend to structure my life that way. <laughs> so tell us, tell us about some of the hardships that you had to endure. So first of all, where did you sleep? Um, I carried a hammock, uh-huh. and um, I wish I'd put some pictures of the shelters on there, but there's three-sided lean-tos with just wood floors that you can sleep in a lot, and I did that a lot because it takes a lot of work to put, set up a hammock. Um, so I slept in shelters so, or in so, a hammock. On the, and when you slept in shelters, did you just sleep on the, on the hard floor? I had a sleeping pad. Oh, you yeah. had a sleeping pad? Yeah, okay. just a little foam so pad. You, okay, That's you it. carried that. Yeah. So tell us about some of the hardships that you had to endure on, the, on this trip. Um, so the hardships included, well, the biggest thing is every morning when you get up, well, I don't know if it's the biggest thing, the first thing you deal with is your 
so sore that you have to ease onto your feet. You can't just hop right up. Um, you, it's stiff. <laughs> oh, your feet? Your yeah, feet are yeah, your feet and your legs, and you hobble around for a few minutes in the morning. And then um, you wear out shoes. And they've got a few pictures up there of the shoes. Um, and How many pairs of shoes did you get? I went through three pairs. Three pairs? Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, uh -huh. there's the shoes. Um, I got bronchitis while I was hiking. Um, about 300 miles, two, 300 miles in, I got bronchitis and I was coughing up the mountains and stuff. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I was coughing a lot going up the mountains and normally you go about three miles an hour. And I was reading in my journal this morning that I was going one mile an hour whenever I was in <laughs> wow. that section. And fortunately, um, the thing, um, the trail kind of provides when you need things out there. Um, you know, you can link that to spiritual aspect too. But I was, got sick going through a town that I had friends that lived there that went, I went southern with. And so their parents came and um, picked me up off the trail and let me stay in their house for a couple of days until I got, got back, got better and stuff. Um, a few other hardships were just heat, exhaustion, um, wild animals. Uh, rattlesnakes. Um, <laughs> what what animals? Did, what animals did you? I got charged by a sick hog in the Smokies. Uh, like <laughs> Five hundred pound wild hog. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I ran. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you ever feel like giving up? Um, yeah. The only time I ever got close to like. Cons like, I never seriously considered it, but the closest I got was probably whenever I got sick and had to take uh -huh. a couple of days off. Um, I didn't take a lot of days off, and I took three days off in one week, which was a lot for me. And um, I had an easy out at that point. The, my friends would have gladly driven me back to Collegedale or to the airport or whatever I needed to do to, you know, get off. And um, uh, I just decided I wasn't going to do that. So... Um, uh, if you guys can read the sign here, it says, anyway, uh, it says the area ahead has the worst weather in America. Many have died from the exposure even in the summer. Turn back now if uh, the weather is bad. Anyways, that's on Mount Washington, which for many years had the highest recorded wind speed on earth. I think... That might have been broken in Australia since then. But, wow. yeah, anyways, it's pretty crazy. Um, I had a good day up there. It was clear. You could see all the way to the ocean, and it was a little chilly, but it wasn't too bad. Um, so what are, what are the lessons you learned from this thing? What did you – I mean, you must have spent a lot of time just thinking. So what Yeah. Um, <laughs> you have to listen to music and – podcasts and people use audiobooks uh -huh. to kind of get through your thoughts because right. after a while there's only so many things you can think about yeah. just by yeah. yourself um, <laughs> but uh, the biggest lessons really um, like you would think that after doing something like that you would be kind of proud of yourself and I was but the biggest thing is it was humbling um, if you can you pull the map back up again um, so if you just look at the scale of that and just, 
it's hard to wrap your mind around it, but an oh, example I give is I try to get people to picture traveling. And um, so, like, I don't know if how many of you guys have either gone to Southern or Andrews or had kids out there, but it's basically like driving that three times between here and there and then going to Tulsa when you get done. And so that's the distance. And you're nothing compared to that scale. And um, some nights, whenever you could see the stars really well, like I would hike at night or whatever, and, um, and you could just see the, the stars and mm -hmm. think of the scale of the universe and stuff. And um, it reali you realize how insignificant you really are, what a small part you have in the world. And so you get this tremendous sense of self-accomplishment but then, um, well, that's the end of the trail, the morning I finished. Um, but it's really nothing compared to all the people you meet and all the different experiences. And you might think you have stuff figured out or have your values figured out or understand the world until you go out and do something like this and meet so many different kinds of people. And um, it really just, it's humbling and it, um, it makes me want to like relate to people better, and uh, and it wow. gives you a different aspect spiritually. Of um, I always knew the God of the Bible, but I feel like I met the God of nature out there, and like the God that exists in the world, and it's just a different experience. I would really encourage people to do something different than your everyday life and uh, set yourself in a different world then you exist in every day and um, you'll find out a lot about wow. what's out there Thank and you. what really matters and stuff. So. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Carol. Okay, I see, think I can sit down. The sermon has been preached. That's quite profound, actually. Pretty profound. The how, the you, the humbleness of, of, of a great achievement is just, it's amazing. Um, so today's teaching, and, and really Kendall got into it. I mean, he, he, I mean, I really can sit down. It's quite amazing what he said. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, and I, and I read the, the verses earlier. And these verses are often misunderstood and, and misinterpreted and uh, the, the NIV version has, uh, these verses are actually quite difficult to, to, uh, to translate because of words of similar meaning but different connotations to the words. And really, the New King James Version probably gives a better translation of this and gives a better understanding of what these verses are. And, and if we read that, is this King James Version... That's not, but anyway, let me read the King James Version. It says, verse 13 says, enter by the narrow, narrow gate, which is the same. And then verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And in the NIV, you'll see uh, narrow and then in verse 14, which is the third line from the second line from the bottom, but small, is actually the same word in, in the Greek. 
So in the one sentence they translated as narrow, and in the other sentence they translated as as uh, as uh, as uh, difficult. Or, or, but the NI, the King James version says, verse fourteen, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And really, this, this teaching is a continuation of, of Dave's teaching from, from last week, which was pretty profound, I thought. It's this whole context of salvation and works. And is there a difference between salvation and works? And I think Dave made it very clear that there is. Salvation is assured. And really, if we read these, these verses... In the King James, the original King James version, it often talks about the straight, the straight gate, and we often think of that straight, spelled T R T R A I G H T, which is not. It's straight means narrow, as in the Straits of Gibraltar. It's a narrowing that occurs, and really, so if you want to, if you want to go from, if you're in a sailboat, and you want to go from here to to Israel. Other than the Suez Canal, which is, which is man-made, it's on the, on the, on the east side of the, the Mediterranean Sea, the only way you can get to Israel is through the Straits of Gibraltar. And in Christ's teaching over here, he is talking about the narrow gate, and he is referring to himself. The only way that you can get to Israel, the only way that you can get to the kingdom, the only way that you can obtain salvation is through that narrow gate, that narrowing, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And that's the one thing that he's been taught over here. Jesus saying, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. I am that gate. Come through me, just sail through me, and I will provide that. But there's a second part to that, which is, becomes the more difficult part, and the part that we don't often want to talk about because it's referring to the works that we have to perform in life, and not only the works that we have to perform in life, but also the difficulties of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Jesus doesn't promise an easy life. In fact, an easy life is detrimental to, for us as, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because an easy life makes us less dependent on him. Difficulty is a good thing. It is not a bad thing. It actually is a good thing. Scott Peck wrote a book, The Road Less Traveled which is based on, on Robert Frost's uh, poem, The Road Not Taken. And the very first sentence he has in that book is, life is difficult. And then he goes on to describe, gives four, four disciplines necessary to solve life's problems. And number one is delayed gratification. I don't think we in Western culture know much about delayed gratification. Because everything we want, we want now, and we get it now, 
And even if, to, even if we have to do ridiculous things to be able to get things done now, we do it. Zig Ziglar, quote, the chief cause of unhappiness is trading what you want most for what you want now. And we often do that. I think a lot of us, or most of us, have goals that we would like to achieve in our lives. And yet many of us do not ever achieve those goals that we would like, things that we would like to do, places that we would want to visit. Because we forfeit those things for the things that I want today. And it's a horrible trade. It's a bad trade. The satisfaction from immediate gratification does not come close to the satisfaction from a desired goal in life. To meet our goals, life's goals takes discipline, patience, and persistence. Number two, take up courage. For those of us that have worked in, in, in corporate world or outside of the church environment, we often oscillate between our domestic and professional and spiritual lives. We morph into who we are at the time. To be, to be mature in our personal and professional lives, we have to be spiritually mature. And it takes planting, lights, water, and weight, patience. We have to act on integrity and, love, and in love in every aspect of our lives. And this takes courage. And yet we go to great lengths to avoid inaction, and then we justify it with very poor excuses. We're very good at making excuses as to why we cannot do something. Number three, being dedicated to truth. Once again, by nature, we want to be absorbed into the culture we live in. But we have to become honest, and this is not a painless process. Socrates says, or said, the unexamined life is not worth living. If you don't examine yourself and take inventory of who you are and root out those things that are bad and plant the good and prune, that life is not worth living. Those people who don't examine their lives are the unhappy people. Those people that examine their lives are the happy people. And number four, balancing. 
Impulses are not easily eliminated. If you have diabetes or high blood pressure, we can control those things with a diet. However, if you want to eliminate those things, it takes a total change of life and lifestyles and our way of living. And often that is very, very difficult. We want the easy fix. We want to take that pill. We want to control it with a prescription instead of controlling it with the prescription that God provides for us. For trees to produce large and healthy fruit, they require pruning. And so does our lives. We must engage in self-pruning to become fully mature. By nature, we are lazy. Admit it. By nature, we are lazy. And it's quite interesting, some uh, researchers at the University College of London, they noticed this trend and, and, and uh, set up an experiment which was actually quite interesting. What they did, they had all these dots on, on a screen and they moved these dots from one side or the other direction and there was this continual movement. And then they got candidates and they got several thousand candidates to actually they had, a, had a, uh, like a control bar on each hand, in hand, each hand, like a, what do you call those things when you play games? Controllers, yeah, whatever those things are. Joystick, joysticks. And if, if, the, if the, the dots moved in one direction and then they would have to move the, control, the joystick in the one direction. And if it moved in the other direction, then they would move the, the, the joystick in that, in that direction. So, and that was, most people got that right, it was, it was no big deal. However, what they did, unbeknown to these people, is that they actually made one of those joysticks more resistant to, to moving. And so what happened? People actually watched these dots and actually moved the joystick in the opposite direction. They became totally complacent because there was more resistant on the other side. It was just as easy, as much easier to do it in the other direction. And one of the researchers did it, he put it this way. He said, here's an example. He said, if you walk into an orchard and on the top of the trees are the most beautiful, most delicious, the best fruit of the apples, and all the low-hanging are freely available and not as, not as good, and tasty as those on the top. By nature, we will walk into that orchard and pick the low-hanging fruit. We will not take the effort to climb to the top and get the best fruit. We all have an opportunity to a lesser or greater extent in our lives to achieve great things. But we choose not to. We choose to take the easy path. 
Cheryl has a cousin whose name is also Glenn. And uh, if you want to look him up, his name is Glenn Van Osdell or Van Osdell. He's one of a handful of, of specialists in the world, and there's probably only about, I don't know what the number is, less than 20, 10 or 20 of these guys. He's a pediatric cardiovascular thoracic surgeon. And he's the guy who does inf uh, infant heart transplants and actually does prenatal uh, cardiac surgery as well. So they actually go into the mother's womb and actually does surgery on hearts while, while the babies are in, still inside their mothers. I might be wrong, but if I remember, we actually looked at the number of years that it took him to get to that. And I'm not bragging about him, that I'm related to him or Cheryl's related to him, but I just think the illustration is so profound. If I remember correctly, from med school until he was fully qualified, it took him 12 years of study. 12 years. That's a whole tertiary education all over again. He made the decision of what he wanted to be and what he wanted to do. And he took the effort. He resisted the easy path and took the effort to achieve great things. We all have that potential. None of us are exempt from that. We all have opportunities in our lives to make a difference, to do the hard things, to choose not to be latent. When I was in college, um, some friends and my brother and my dad and I decided that we were going to hike to this, these falls in Lesotho. Lesotho is a little country that's surrounded by South Africa. And we were going to go hike to these falls, they call the Maletziani Falls. And in those days, the closest road was about two, two days hike from, from these falls. So we actually drove to the closest we could get to these, and then we, we hiked to these falls. And this is no easy hike. You can see those, those mountains. It was like that for the whole hike. It was up and down, up and down, absolutely exhausting. But then we climbed over this, the summit, and you look down at that valley, and you just see this incredible waterfall. And you just, in this incredible gorge, 630 feet drop directly down that cliff. And we took several hours to enjoy it, and then we had to do the reverse trip. So why do I tell you this story? Today you can go there and just drive to the place and they actually have a lodge over there. You can stay in a lodge and overlook the falls. Today we had a hike there. That was 40 years ago. And there was hardship that happened to be able to achieve that. And I remember the event because not necessarily because of what we saw, but because of the hardship that we endured together. One of the things, and I'm going to get a little personal over here, 
I don't regret anything about my life. I had a good life. And as I've often said, I, I came from poverty, and I think that was a good thing. I don't think that was a bad thing at all. But there's only one thing that I wish had happened to me when I was a kid. I wish somebody had come to me and said to me, you can be better than what you think you are. You don't have to be mundane and just do the ordinary. There's no regrets. I don't believe that we should ever regret anything in our lives because I think God has taken me on a journey which has been incredible. I think he has used me in ways that he probably wouldn't have used me if I had made other different decisions. But I probably would have chosen a different career. I probably would have done something different with my life. And if there's nothing else you can do, especially those older people, if you see a kid, any kid, whether they or you think they have potential or not, encourage them. Go and tell them that they can be better than what they think they can be. They can be. All it takes is effort. And for those people that are more senior, who think they've done nothing special with their lives, it's never too late. It's never too late. Jesus still needs people working in his vineyard that can make a difference. And you have those opportunities. When you see them, don't find excuses. Don't resist the easy. Take the hard. Final three sentences in Robert's Frost, Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Father, <clears throat> our prayer is simple. When I come to that fork in the road, may I choose the path that is less traveled. Amen.